Hey guys, welcome back to the Greenback Voyage podcast. Uh, this month, our special podcast is discussing about the 2008 financial crisis. Now, most financial institutions, most economists, most of the world generally knows what happened with the entire financial crisis. I mean, uh, the CDOs, MBOs, synthetic CDOs, which were basically the catalyst for all the market drop-offs. And then not only that, we had Lehman Brothers collapsing, AIG being merged, Bear Stearns offering the massive drop-off in early March. So I wanted to kind of get your guys' opinions. We have both Joel and uh, Krishna on the call with us today. And I kind of wanted to get your opinions about this kind of crisis and what you think could be prevented in the future um, for this not to happen again. So, Shravan, when, when, when you look at the, the premise of the issue, right? So, you have a bunch of banks, you know, deregulating on on mortgage mortgage-backed securities right the mortgage uh, market is booming you have a lot of banks who are happy with that boom so they're investing in it and they're bringing in their cut clients and customers also into these mortgage-backed securities right and each security has their own respective ratings which a lot of people blindly trusted but i think the biggest issue that we saw that caused the the crisis was not necessarily the CDOs and synthetic CDOs, but the lack of trust uh, because of of the falsification of ratings, right? So you have all these mortgage-backed securities that people think are AAA rated when they're when they're actually not, and they have a bunch of subprime loans hidden in them. So people think that they're buying into the most secure uh, part of the United States when they're actually buying into a bunch of uh, sham loans with rising interest interest rates in the subprime market and that kind of just collapsed when everyone realized what was going on so I would say when when in the future it, it, it's it's really up to federal power to make sure that certifications aren't falsified Right. I think we've come a long way from what happened there. We have passed a lot of laws for, to prevent that. Um, and if you look at like the, the, the you know, the, the, the derivative that they made, the CDOs, um, most of them are, it's kind of like a chain of a lot of things that went wrong. So you have your triple A uh, equity, uh, your triple A uh, mortgage bonds that people were buying into. And then you have the subprime and the really, really, you know, junk bonds uh, that no one buys. And well, basically what the investment bankers uh, did was they would put those, uh, they would put the, you know, the triple B ratings and some of the AAB rating, uh, the, the mid-class uh, bonds in, in with the triple A's um, and they'll make a margin on that. And they, and it would just go down. So they would put the triple B's with some of the C's and then it would just go all the way down to the junk bonds. And that, that once the junk bonds started to fail, it just tr started to trickle up and that's how we had the whole collapse with the CDO market. Um, and, so, yeah, and, go ahead. And and if you really look at the way the banks were like framing these bonds, right? The moment in, in certain situations, they were taking absolute junk bonds. Like we're talking about C and B rated bonds, right? And they would take a decent amount of them, like a couple hundred thousands, merge them all together into a single mortgage backed security. And if you have a single C rated bond, that's considered a risky investment. But what if you have a 
bunch, a pool of just C and like B rated bonds, what's the probability that all of them are going to get, you know, defaulted on at the same time? Not very likely according to the bank logic at the time. So when they diverse, when they, when they merged a bunch of low rated securities, they kind of classified it as diversified and it's not risky anymore and they'd up the rating to like double double a which is ridiculous because if you look at it it's a chain of events where you have absolutely junk bonds just collapsing one on top of each other putting them together is not going to make them any less junk and that's that's where the banks really messed up it's not i don't think it's really the problem with the you know rating the securities itself the problem was the investment banks paying off uh, Moody's, S&P, and uh, I'm forgetting the third name now, but paying off those rating agencies just to make sure those underlying securities within those MBOs and the CDOs were actually AA or AAA. But the thing was, when they sent it off to the CDO division to like kind of make up those bonds and send it off to the investors, those CDO managers didn't know what the actual ratings on those bonds were. They knew they were crap. But they didn't know exactly what ratings those bonds would be, whether they were in the C territory, B territory, or just a single A territory. And that was the main issue there. There was a huge disconnect between each of the divisions. And it all came into one because everyone thought that everyone else was taking on more of the risk, when in actuality, the entire population as a whole was taking on the risk. Right. It, it's all. It's also another thing with uh, uh, co uh, banks that are giving out loans. So basically, a lot of uh, you know these brokers, what what they ended up doing is using praying tactics to rope in uh, customers who Pre wanted to predatory. buy homes. A lot of immigrants. Yeah, yeah, predatory uh, tactics. Uh, like a lot of immigrants who who want to buy homes, uh, you know, low-income members who wanted to buy homes, and they would give these, you know, really, really, you know, bad loans or uh, sorry, mortgages, and that also, you know, had a very uh, negative effect, and that all accumulated into what happened, uh, all the defaults that happened, you know, in two thousand eight. So uh, it's a, it's a lot of things that went wrong everywhere, and that's you know that's how it ended up with the whole collapse. It was honestly like a cycle of bad credit card debt because you, you had a bunch of like low income individuals like we're talking the bottom 30% of America who also wanted in on this bubble, right? That there was this massive bubble. Everyone's like getting a home and the bottom 30% wanted in. And at the time, it seemed possible because the banks were so high on the profits that they didn't care about people defaulting on loans anymore. They just wanted a high supply of mortgages so that they can pump more mortgages into securities and pump up their ratings because they weren't they weren't they didn't care about ratings, right? They could pay off Moody's. They could diversify a bunch of junk bonds and get ratings up automatically. They didn't care about ratings. All they needed is a constant supply of mortgages so their mortgage-backed securities continue to exist and there's always demand for those at the time right so they would just rope in this bottom 30 percent with extremely bad like aprs and really bad like like you know procedures so they didn't the the bottom 30 percent didn't know what they were doing they just bought the house because they were happy it wasn't it wasn't even bad aprs it was they they had arms which is basically adjustable rate mortgages and the problem with that is interest rates started to increase after I think it was 2005 from about 1% all the way up to I think in 08 it was around 5.25, 5.5%. 5 
And the problem with those arms is, while they seem very low at the time when most people were buying it in 05 and 06, by the time they got to 07 or 08, and those one-year um, contracts kind of expired, where do you guys know how hybrid arm kind of works? It's kind of, okay, so it's kind of like, let's say you have a mortgage for five years, say for example. So the first year, or the first three years, they'll have that set at a fixed interest rate. And then after those three years, they'll have it like two basis points above whatever the current interest rate is. So as interest rates started to increase, those people had to pay more on those mortgage principal and interest payments than they ever had to before. And they kind of didn't know what they were signing into, which is, yeah, I guess is what you were talking about, Krishna. So it, it was just a, it, it was just like a general cluster of uneducated individuals trying to financially free themselves. It was also simultaneous like fraud from from banking institutions paying off S&P and Moody's, right? So so we have falsification of of certifications. We have uh, bad ethics from from banks while devising these mortgage-backed securities, which led to a chain of bad CDOs and bad synthetic CDOs because they're all dependent on those mortgage-backed securities. And we, after, after the adjustable rates kicked in and, and skyrocketed, we, we saw a, a massive surge of subprime defaults and that, that collapsed. After a while, you, 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 can't, you can't scam your way out of a certification the entire time, right? You can't keep paying them off. Someone will catch on eventually. And, and, the, and the population did. And, and we, we saw the worst crisis of, of, of for time. It, it, it was literally a, a massive scam by banking institutions. It wasn't even like a financial crisis. It was a financial scam. Right. And the, and the, and the really, you know, thing that hurts is uh, like all the investment bankers kind of saw what was kind of what was coming. Right. And they ended up shorting each other's positions. And that that's just that's just really amazing to me. They would they would buy all these, you know, derivatives and, and credit swaps uh, against their own position or they would do it on, you know, another investment banker's position. And they would end up, you know, shorting themselves to protect themselves from what was coming. That so is true. they ended up saving themselves, getting a government bailout. And, and eventually, you know, it, it, the, the people who get hurt is always the American taxpayer. And, you know, that's the tragic tra tragedy of what happened in 2008. Yeah, because in, in no under no circumstance are the banks truly going to lose. Like, sure, we, we, we saw Lehman Brothers like collapse completely. Their stock price hit zero because the, the people caught on. But the government just bailed them out. Right. They, they were acquired. So and the similar thing happened with Morgan Stanley as well. And a lot of other banks, for example, Merrill Lynch got acquired by Bank of America at discount rates. So at the time, th these companies, even though that they were failing, weren't really worried of a failure because they always know that the government's like going to bail them out. It happened before in 1991. It happened again in 2008. And if it happens in the future, the government is always going to back the financial institutions. So there's truly no fear of getting caught for fraud in, in our economy because there's always someone to back up these financial institutions, which is truly boosting a negative attitude. Yeah, and the main issue wasn't really, I don't think there's gonna be any problem if we just kept to MBOs and CDOs failing. The main issue was, you know, those insurance agencies like AIG and all, 
having credit default swaps, as mm-hmm. well as yeah, providing synthetic CDOs so that they could get in the game as well, which yeah is a main issue because I'm pretty sure, like, that entire kind of industry of like the mortgage uh, buying industry went from like 900 billion dollars to 62 trillion within a year and a half. It was just basically money on top of money on top of money based on one underlying security in itself. And yeah, if you think about it, the only people who kind of figured out that something was wrong was really the bankers it, that were issuing these. It, it it was a horse race with the sick horse running, right? the The sick sick horse was was the market back security, and you have bets, and then you have bets on bets, and then you have more bets on bets. So when 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 the horse turns out to be sick and just dies in the middle of the race, the economy's fucked. But yeah, I kind of wanted to ask, um, you know, Ben Bernanke. He was he was a very strict guy in terms of, um, I guess you could compare him to Gary Gensler and how he might act with the SNC in the future. But Ben Bernanke, he was very strict on making sure that investment banks and the financial corporation was regulating the markets properly, and there's no like you know sort of scheming stuff happening, mm-hmm. and a. Consequence of that was he issued out warnings to all the banks in the summer of '08, because you know even then in the summer of '08, you know there was a small crisis, but it wasn't global enough yet. But he issued a warning to banks such as Lehman and others, where he just basically said like you don't have the capital necessary, you need to raise capital if you're going to survive this crisis later on. And mm-hmm. you know Lehman CEO at the time he didn't believe him and. Well, we know how the story goes there, but that caused basically the crash from September to around, I'd say, what was it, till March of 2009. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, going off on that with the recent, you know, induction of money that's going into the economy by the the Federal Reserve right now. Do you think that consequence of seeing how one, I mean, they only had 600 billion dollars in assets. It's not even As much as say Blackstone,、um, but do you think, like the Fed now, is just scared that something similar might happen, and that's why they're injecting as much funds as they can into the economy to make sure the stock. I mean, I mean, the system is very different because it, it the one of the fundamental differences between the two thousand nine crash and the coronavirus, and it's you know. Caused financial effect, right? Is that one? One was circulated around one fraud, and the second thing is insurance, right? So in 2008, even though there was a lot of shady things happening in in banking, a lot of these banks, whatever derivative they came out with, whether it be CDOs or synthetic CDOs, always had insurance on these. For example, Goldman Sachs. Every single time someone took out a credit default swap from their bank, no matter the investor. Both sides would be insured, so their mortgage-backed securities themselves were insured, as well as credit default swaps of the customer. So, because of that insurance, a lot of people weren't really scared because they were going to get their payout even if the system fails. When it comes to the pandemic, it's not really a financial failure. It was more just a natural cause, kind of collapsing basic basic workflow in the entire economy. So you you have the manufacturing. Sector completely collapsing, 
right and then because of that you have the tertiary sector not working to its full capacity because they're all you know quarantined at home and because of that there's no really insurance that's coming into play like there's no insurance against people's income right if you're unemployed you're unemployed in 2009 it was the banks who were taking most of the losses unlike now and they had insurance so so the two the the two events are very different so the fed pumping money might be just to like you know raise overall demand of the economy because but what america needs is 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 more demand in the economy so we can restore to a previous boom right now even now i mean today we just passed the 1.9 trillion dollar uh bill um which is giving out 1400 dollar checks to everyone and a bunch of other i think uh, unemployment benefits are, are extended till september uh, september 6th mm-hmm. um you know with bond yields rising and investors expecting uh, an, a recovery uh by by summer uh what is you know what's what's the point of injecting a, a two trillion almost two trillion dollars back into the economy i mean we're already fearing inflation at this point right um but and unemployment has has dropped to six percent i mean if you looked at the uh, unemployment numbers last week um we expected around 200 uh two hundred thousand dollars uh sorry two hundred thousand new jobs created but it ended up being nearly 500k jobs created so the economy is is coming back naturally It's, it's it's recovering uh yet we are now injecting another two trillion dollars into the market. Uh, I, I'm I'm very wear, weary of you know uh, a long term or prolonged inflation that's about to happen this decade. Yeah, that's kind of the side I was taking. Uh, just kind of is the Fed kind of overreacting just because you know I mean this is also unprecedented times. We haven't really dealt with the pandemic of this size since 1920, and you could probably even say. Um, going back to the Black Death era. So, like, is the Fed kind of overreacting just because of the previous two crashes? And, what, 2008, the SPY fell about 48%, if I'm mm-hmm. guessing right. And it took about, you know, four years for the market to recover there. And millions of pensions, uh, insurance funds were lost during that time. And is the Fed just trying to make sure that, you know, that kind of doesn't happen again? In my opinion, I would say that the Fed injecting money in the economy not, is not necessarily a bad move. Because if, if you think about what's happening, right, um, there, there there's a renter crisis right now in the United States. So, so you have a bunch of people who were in the renter's market and renting housing. And not a lot of this population was in the upper income bracket of the United States. They, they're they're like kind of floating around the poverty line in the United States, which is like slightly below forty thousand dollars, if I'm not wrong. So you got a you got a population that really can't support themselves that well, and they depend on rent the 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 house that they're renting, and then all of a sudden because of unemployment they can't afford this rent anymore, and because of the stimulus check they're able to afford this rent. But what happens when the market recovers and they have to start paying like rent again, right? And unemployment ends. And and you also have the government, you know, giving like rent relief to people where they don't have to pay rent for a certain amount of time. So they're not paying the rent for that time because they're unemployed, but they're not going to magically get a job as soon as the market recovers 
like immediately right so then they're gonna have backlogs on rent so that creates like a whole new real estate crisis which kind of needs stimulus to to offset it right because if i if i don't have money well when the market recovers i can't pay my rent right uh i mean even if you look what, what's happening now i think there's going to be a lot of jobs that will go uh you know they're, they're going to be completely wiped so if you look at uh what's happening with you know office buildings everyone is going remote right so there's not mm -hmm. going to be the need for uh janitors or uh you know maybe you know people a uh, secretary uh secretary at desks things like that so uh maybe maybe they'll go online but especially janitors um when schools were canceled when when people went remote those people suffered huge huge unemployment um and it's very very likely that uh this will can this will continue uh and there will be a complete huge uh job cut for for uh jobs like these um so for unemployment to drop back to like three percent or four percent i don't think that's going to happen for a long time so a lot of jobs are going to stay a lot of jobs that were lost are, are going to end up being lost forever um but with the rent problem the thing is um so yeah people are getting uh, people who lost their jobs and unable to pay rent and a lot of uh, the, the government did pause rent so basically they said you know you don't have to pay it now you can pay it later but all that will be accumulated it's not like your rent's canceled it's just you yeah know, it's going to be it, it's just going to be uh, pushed away and you know what what about your landlord he he's also he or she is also going to need the money right um yep. so it, it, it is kind of a domino effect of what's happening right now in real estate. Uh, but, you know, if you look at the consumer spending data, it's still continuing to go up, right? Um, people are still, spe you know, spending and, and people are still spending money and the economy is still uh, slowly recovering. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, the people with, you know, low income household are getting affected a lot. Um, but it, 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 you know, I think um, the economy is still recovering and it, it looks like, uh, you know, this uh, low income uh, group is, is the one that's paying the cost. Uh, and that, that just seems like the same thing that happened in 2009 and same thing is happening now. Joel, uh, I kind of want to like say something about that. So, so I want to circle back to a conversation that we had earlier where I was talking about how studying economics is not ideal because most economics you learn is theoretical that kind of applies when it comes to spending data so sure it's it's in theory in economic theory increased spending in the economy boosts demand and therefore kind of recovers the economy to a previous state but in this situation most of the spending is not organic like it's supposed to be spending should be classified as debt-based spending and non-debt-based spending. Most of the spending that's happening right now, a lot of people need to do it. It's out of necessity because people need to buy things to survive this pandemic because there's already an upset economy out there. And a, a lot of the spending is funneled by bad credit card debt, you know, uh, un unregulated loans from loan sharks in the, in, in the, in the, below the poverty line. The middle class is struggling to to live on the same level of luxury they used to previously so because of all these like lifestyle changes that that the middle class and poor of america are facing and which is funneling inorganic spending i would say that when it, when time comes for for this debt to be paid back 
it won't be able to be paid back. And that could lead to a whole another crisis. Right. So we so we have divergent crises because of this pandemic. We we have a upcoming renters crisis within within real estate. We have an upcoming demand crisis when it comes to inorganic spending. So 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 we have multiple like pathways that this is this is this pandemic is causing that can really collapse the economy once again. And right. I mean, people people are racking up their credit cards. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that's primarily what's fueling uh, spending right now. Uh, but I mean, what I'm trying to say is, uh, if you look at like, let's say Apple, we take Apple and their iPhone sales, they had a record beat in terms of sales. So people are, you know, people are still buying iPhones during this time of crisis. Um, but yes, I mean, the the low income household uh, is is getting, uh, you know, they're they're suffering a huge uh, a disadvantage here. Um, so but you know if you look at the bill itself you know the the fourteen hundred dollar checks um there's a lot of uh you know sections in the bill that has spending towards other countries so uh, if you look at even even the last bill the 900 billion dollar bill that was passed under trump uh a, a billions of dollars went to you know israel's idf force for missiles so the politicians here are ending up not you know putting priority to the americans here um and you yeah go ahead all right i think i think this might be a debate for another time i wanted to focus more on um i guess something krishna brought up with i guess government intervention so you know in the oed crisis i mean uh how much did we spend in the end like 425 billion to bail out the banks i think more and than then that. i'm guessing uh, at least I think those were the, around the official numbers and then around 800 billion dollars for the stimulus bill that was passed in 2009 2010 somewhere along those lines yeah about total and, total was about 1.5 trillion dollars uh, spent during the 2008 yeah. Uh, crisis yeah so I guess my my kind of thing is what areas do you think the US government should step in? and say we're going to solve this and what areas do you think the u.s government should just leave off and just let the way of markets dictate what so, happens so, when it so came the first to thing the, is the 2000 go ahead okay yeah so when it came to the 2008 crisis i would say the government was right to intervene and bail out banks because the financial like institutions do need to stay stable for for recovery right because at the end of the day even though the banks kind of scam the people the people need to go back to the banks in order to to like take money out put money in on a very fundamental level the banks are necessary to to even like maintain demand right and so the bailout was was justified but but like you can't bail out every single bank and i, I wouldn't and, say it was justified i mean it, it was ne uh, it was a necessity at that point yeah uh, you had to bail out otherwise you would collapse the whole financial uh, system in this country uh, and that's what, you know, the bankers are, uh, you know, betting on. I mean, they were doing this knowing that they'll get bailed out, right? Yeah. And um, and that's why it's just, it's literally up to lawmakers to strengthen regulation on, on fraudulent behavior. So the, the, the only way you could have prevented a crisis like 08 was prevent fraud. And that's something that the government really needs to focus on and strengthen laws. I mean, sure, they have been doing it since 08. But it's not completely foolproof. It can happen once again because there's a lot of new derivatives that are coming out in modern markets. Like, 
previously we had we had mortgage backed securities now we have a whole world of electronic derivatives that that we can bet bet on and that can create a whole another chain of bad financial events so every single derivative but i think that's needs to have some see the government that is kind of the... the government now should focus on monopolies so you know a lot of small businesses out there including uh in the it and a lot of spaces are are suffering the worst right now and big companies like amazon microsoft they're still enjoying their revenues up their profits are still up and they're starting to you know consolidate the market here and they're slowly starting to eat up the market space of uh, that uh, sorry the market share that small businesses are, are starting to die out and this is going to lead to you know this is this what ends up happening i mean if you look at the last year of uh of government donations and uh lobbying facebook and amazon still tops the list right so as 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 larger these companies grow the more and more influence they're going to have on on our policy so that that's the that's the primary focus that um the government should focus on uh is monopolies because you know the monopolies is the end of capitalism and it looks like we're heading towards um these huge companies getting larger and larger and that that's something that you know we should uh, we should and and the government should focus on and and if you if Chamath actually, uh, Chamath did mention that currently the U.S. government and not just the U.S. market but the global market is essentially, according to him, governed by 150 corporate members who have a seat at the at the top at the table, right? And 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 these 150 individuals, all billionaires, have the power to control legislation. They have the power to change laws because of the amount of capital that they have and funnel into the government. And, and, and if we leave our fates to this 150 individuals, it, it's going to get dangerous. And, and there needs to be some sort of regulation to kind of compress corporate power. Like, we need, we need to see a situation that happened with AT&T in the past. Like, Bell Labs grew so powerful that it had to be broken down into multiple, like, chains, right? And that's how that gave birth to AT&T. And that happened to BlackBerry before in the past. We need some sort of like breaking down of, of these businesses. See, AT&T, even after the breakup, they have actually grown much stronger than they were. And even in... And, and they and, bought out most of those companies right, that so, were broken yeah, up. Yeah, so they're actually bigger than they ever were before the breakup. breakup. And even, even yeah, in 2008, so right, all the banks that merged together, they're also stronger than ever. So... They're, that's the thing that you know the government should and the more powerful they get the more lo the more spending they'll do on lobbying and that that's the thing the government should focus on right now um i, I mean it, it probably is too late for that to be honest yeah it, it is kind of hard when you think about it because every time we create new net legislation i mean someone out there is going to figure out a loophole within it or some new technology is going to make it like you know you can get around with it and still do the same thing without exactly breaking the law i mean let's take let's take formula one for example so every few years the rules change on how you can design a car right but the thing is you can't really know everything that a team will think of to come around with the loopholes that'll make their car go faster and while it may look legal technically within the rules it's not illegal and it's kind of the same way with banks i mean I know Krishna, you talked about with electronic de uh, derivatives now, 
especially with crypto market on yeah. the rise with Bitcoin and that's, all. That's definitely dangerous. But it's kind of hard. Yeah, it's kind of hard to regulate that without kind of knowing it's there in the first place. Oh, it's not. It, and the only it's way not to, difficult. It's impossible, especially in the crypto market, because the whole the whole premise of the new crypto market is it's deregulation, right? Decentralization. That's kind of like the basis of the the budding financial market. So if you, if you, when we're talking about regulation, it's close to impossible. But I'm just saying, if we want to really prevent uh, backlashes and and you know loophole exploitations like in 2008 regulation is necessary i'm not saying it can be done i'm saying it should be done even though it cannot yeah i don't think it should be based off congress though i think maybe the F ftc and the secs should maybe i, I really uh, i really think there should be some like some like international like body for finance for example we have the un for peace right like global peace and military like you know control but but what, what about finance like a lot of the global market is connected and how do you prevent big banks which op operate on a global level to to mm -hmm. commit um errors like that that happened in 2008 you need some sort of global yeah, body it, to regulate these so we can't just rely on the bit, sec we need we need some that, yeah yeah that's we need true. some because it is a bit difficult, especially with Joel, you were talking about monopolies, right? And I, I think one main reason, which I've talked about in the past that, you know, the FTC doesn't want to kind of demonopolize these huge corporations that we have now is because of the foreign markets, what's threatening the US economy right now. I mean, we got China, we had Russia back in the day, who knows what new players might be popping up and threatening to, you know, changed the way the U.S. economy was in the past. So, yeah, Krishna is kind of right in that thing where we do need to have a regulatory body that maybe controls the world. But then I guess you also have to think China is more communist. America is more capitalist. Communism isn't really focused on the same ideals of free market as capitalism is. So, yeah, I mean, it will take a bit of work to kind of know if there is a right solution to this. And the worst part about these companies, right? Uh, I'll make one last point, Joel, sorry. But but the main issue with these companies is that all these companies, sure, everyone, me, my mother, my grandmother, all of us know that they're, they're monopolies, right? But on paper, they're not. Most of these companies have like subsidiary firms. Like IBM has like multiple chains of businesses that are different units and technically have a different business identity and are not affiliated with the original IBM logo. But but we all know that they are, right? So on paper, they're not monopolies. They're like 20 different firms. Same thing with Amazon. They're like 30 different firms. They're a conglomerate of, of multiple firms. So you can't even penalize them when it comes to regulation in terms of monopoly you can't even classify them as that on paper so it's almost impossible for lawmakers to really tackle that problem see here's the fundamental beauty of ca capitalism right so back like 10 years ago um x x uh, exxon was like the largest company in the world right oil was uh, you know it was the biggest industry they were controlling congress they were the biggest lobbying uh you know um body in in, in the whole world right and now the guy Elon Musk comes around with Tesla and he's challenging the whole effort. And now he's he's kind of forced everything to change. And, you know, is anyone talking about oil? Everything's about EV now. So it's kind of a, a huge disruption 
right? So there has to be some kind of huge disruption that comes in from a, a third party. I, as far as government regulating, I, I, I think that's very, very unlikely. It has to be some, some third party guy who comes in and changes the whole system. And we see it with Elon Musk and we'll probably see something new happen with, with you know, big tech. So yeah, maybe something in fintech. Yeah, honestly, right, so, we, we, we really need to see some educational changes as well. Right. I mean, we, we need Even to if we go like to fintech, this. right, we have mm -hmm. we have block we have blockchain technology coming in and we have, you know, Bitcoin. This is kind of disrupting the whole space. Right. So that that's just how, you know, I guess the cycles go with, you know, an industry that grows so powerful like the oil industry and then it gets taken down and maybe uh, the financial industry and the tech industry will, will is getting it's already so big right now and maybe you know 10 or 20 years down the road it will, it will be taken down by some other industry so i get i guess that's how you know things will go and we can we maybe jamie diamond was right maybe bitcoin might be a good threat to our financial institutions it's a very big threat in in fact yeah, yeah. The, the whole concept of decentralized finances is is big bank's biggest nightmare right because the whole the whole business model is based on accountability and and the trust that the people have in the big banks right like like let, let's be real if you gave all your money to goldman sachs to invest you would you would be pretty happy because you trust in that big brand name right and you trust that they will get you the returns that you want but let's take away those big brand names and all you have is people governing other people's money and that's a whole new landscape right it's scary so you, you the, the big bands are uh, they're frightened because now if we take away their power completely and everything's decentralized right not only can they not scam people but the people control their own money so right yeah that's the whole thing with uh, cryptocurrency right it's giving control to the market instead of an institution so that's a huge threat to what what you know the financial industry right now um so we will probably see uh some major um revolution in 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 the financial world in the next 10 20 years yeah as as we start to adapt uh adopt uh cryptocurrency and i think I it's would... inevitable I would not be surprised if banks honestly utilize new technologies to to kind of repeat what happened with mortgage-backed securities, and it's already happening with certain cryptos. Like like if you take a look at take a look at USDC, if I'm not wrong, it, that's the cryptocurrency that kind of tracks the U.S. dollar, right? Tether, right? Uh, I th I think that's what it is. Uh, the ticker is USDC. I think yeah so so essentially that coin is is like kind of like a mortgage-backed security for the u.s government uh, for the u.s currency right and it's tracking it now let's say that we, we've seen jp morgan accumulate a massive amount of bitcoin we're seeing the miami state government adapting a massive amount of bitcoin so let's say financial institutions kind of start making crypto backed currencies because it's such a strong market right now and a lot of people are predicting a future rise in technology and the same thing with mortgage-backed securities happens with this because it's all based on certain premiums for for mortgage-backed securities it was more the interest rates right for for cryptocurrency it's more based on the premiums that the cryptos trade on so so if they make securities like that in the future then we're giving our power back to the big banks and in a crisis like 08 might happen again using this technology 
Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even I think right. the latest report um, was uh, Goldman Sachs is opening cryptocurrency to its clients. So now they're going to be trading cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Ethereum, on on clients' behalf. Um, so a lot of investment banking is uh, the industry is getting on the hype train to on cryptocurrency. And and the thing with most of the All population right. is like. Um, even even though like cryptocurrency and new technologies are supposed to be decentralized in name, big banks are starting to become like a medium for that. And because they're a medium and a lot of people already trust them, they're going to continue affiliating themselves with that name, even to trade crypto. Yeah, and and, and uh, China is actually starting to uh, mine a lot of cryptocurrencies under the government. And I'm pretty sure the U.S. government might be doing the same. But, um, you know, latest reports show that China is trying to uh, assert a control or, or have some influence on, on the booming cryptocurrency market right now. All right. Well, yeah, I think we've had some good ideas so far. Whether they'll be implemented, we may never know. We can only figure that out in the future. But I think just one last uh, thought or a question before we go off. What do you think was the main cause of the financial crisis? I, I mean, I'll go first. Just, it, just one. It, it, just one. It, it's, it's, it's greed. It's greed in all um, areas of, you know, from, from banks handing out mortgages, trying to, sell, you know, give mortgages to people with low credit scores, uh, with no background checks, just to, get, just to make a commission on the mortgage you're selling from investment bankers, you know, shorting and, and, and basically having a full-on casino in, in the markets with derivatives. Um, it, it's just greed. I mean, that, that's sim it's simply what, what led to this, um, uh, what led to the 2008 crisis. It, it's just one word, for greed, yeah. I'll be completely honest. E e even if the government tried, if, if there was a second crisis to come, the same thing would happen and there'd be no stopping it. It's just the underlying faults within our system that honestly can't be solved. And that's the beauty of our capitalist economy. But I think my my word would also be greed, but it would be in a different way than what Joel said. I think that the 2000 tech bubble really kind of catapulted this because if you really think about it, you know, people started realizing that you really need safe investments and profitable investments to put your money in. And mortgages seem like the thing to go to, MBS especially. And it was the thing to go to for many pension funds, insurance companies, and so on. I mean, what can go wrong because with the mortgage, of that, right? Yeah. yeah, and that was that was the thing then. But then, yeah, once that started, it became like the tech bubble again, where people tried to turn that to making new profits, even though they weren't really profitable, and that ramped up everything. And yeah, that eventually caused the, one of the biggest crises to that we'd ever like, had. Like after two thousand seven, mortgage growths weren't even organic; they were completely funneled by by junk bonds and and just massive supply of mortgage securities with no background checks yep i mean if you look at house prices they stagnated from the end of 2006 all the way to the crisis starting in 2008 mm -hmm. so yeah i mean even back then people started to realize that there were people defaulting on their loans and the supply was catching up to the demand yep but yeah, I think that does it for us. I don't know if you guys any had any other last thoughts you wanted to say or 
I guess, blurred out about our financial institutions. All, I, all I'm praying for is corporate America to really just get neutralized because the way, the way corporate power is growing, it, it, it is not going to be good for, for civilians in the future. It's a war zone, guys. It's a war zone. And on that note, yeah. Um, Joe, I guess go ahead. You have the last thought. Yeah, just my fear is just, you know, uh, growth of monopolies and, and big tech and big corporations getting more powerful, you know, taking out the, the small guys in the market and gaining more and more influence on the government and our public policy. So that's just, you know, the thing I fear. Um, but I think, you know, maybe everything will, will correct with the new, you know, new cycle of disruptive technology. And that that's kind of the hope with... Uh, EVs taking on oil, um, blockchain, and cryptocurrency taking on the financial industry. So, uh, I guess we'll we'll see what happens this decade and and I guess this century. And on that note, uh, thank you guys for listening in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, uh, just make sure to follow us as we post out weekly market updates as well as monthly specials. And we will see you guys next time.